Welcome everyone to 1111 Calling. I'm your host, Michelle Haynes, and today I am speaking with Dr. Mary Shackleton. We had Dr. Shackleton on a few weeks back to discuss her naturopathic practice. And um, Dr. Shackleton's been a naturopathic doctor who's been practicing in Boulder, Colorado for over 23 years. She focuses on detoxification, chronic illness, environmental medicine with an emphasis in women's health. And she also is the uh, co-founder of Pride's Pad Africa, an NGO whose mission it is to provide sanitary pads to girls in Africa to help keep them in school. And I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode. That's episode 12. And that was released in August. And I wanted to follow up with Dr. Shackleton today to specifically discuss Lyme disease. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for being here again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, so my experience with Lyme was about three or four years ago, I think. And um, I'm just going to briefly explain what happened with me and how I was fortunate enough to find my way to you. So I had um, woke up one morning thinking I had the worst flu of my life. Um, I had a horrific headache that I could not get to go away, no matter how much Advil, Tylenol, or combination of the two I took. I had a high fever. I think it was around 102. I was achy all over. I was absolutely exhausted. I had the fever, chills, all of that, whole nine yards. Um, basically laid in bed for a few days, feeling miserable, not being able to find any relief from any of those symptoms. And, um, the fourth day, I think I woke up and I woke up with the most horrific stiff neck and mm. I could barely move my neck. I thought, holy shit, I think I have meningitis. <laughs> and, um, I, I, called my doctor's office. Um, at the time I was seeing a doctor through Kaiser Permanente and they scheduled me an appointment to come in. So since I had been in bed for days, I thought I better take a shower. And it was at that point that I noticed I had a red, um, circle right at the base of my tailbone, top of my, my booty crack. And mine was a solid red circle. It was not hot. It did not itch. It wasn't raised. I have a friend that's a nurse. So of course I immediately sent her a picture Poor thing. <laughs> I'm always, always messaging her. She said, I think it looks like maybe a spider bite or some kind of bite. Cause she said on the picture, you could see a tiny little poke hole. So anyway, I hop in the shower, get out of the shower. The doctor's office had called and the nurse from the doctor's office said, um, because of your stiff neck, we're concerned it could be meningitis. So let me know, can you touch your chin to your chest? So I did that. I could do that. It was uncomfortable, but I could do it regardless. They said, why don't you go ahead and head to the ER just in case it is meningitis. So I dragged myself to the ER and, um, I was in and out of there in 10 minutes. Um, but within the first two minutes, the PA that I saw, um, you know, I think she took my temperature. My temperature was down that day. It was pretty much normal by that point. All my other symptoms were there still. And she asked me to touch my chin to my chest. I did. And she said, you don't have meningitis <laughs> within two minutes. And then, um, 
So I asked her about the spot and she, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong. I do it every time. She said that's a palandial cyst. Oh, pilonidal. Yeah, that. (laughs) And I said, gosh, that doesn't look like a cyst. I've never seen a cyst like that. And she was really short and blunt with me, didn't like being questioned. And she said, well, it is a cyst. And sometimes they go inward and that's what they look like. And she said, it's completely unrelated to your other symptoms. Uh, I won't go in. I'm not going to waste time. It was a horrible visit. I actually had to file a complaint. Um, But anyway, I was out the door with a prescription for Keflex for a supposed um, cyst and nothing for a, what she called just a random virus said, I'm just going to have to write that out. So I went and took my Keflex and usually I've had the experience that when you start taking antibiotic, whatever it is you're taking it for, usually within a few days, symptoms subside. I um, still had the spot for a good long week longer, and I was still sick for about a week longer. And then everything kind of went away. And it was a couple of weeks later, I woke up again, going into the shower. I noticed I have, not only is the spot on my tailbone back, but I had about seven other round circles, solid circles um, on my body. I had one on my neck, on my arm, on my breast, on my stomach. um, I think another on my side. And I thought, holy gosh, what is this? So I do what every annoying patient does. And I get on Google and I start searching, searching. And I discover I had textbook Lyme disease um, based. I remember the definition said something to the effect of um, flu-like symptoms often mistaken for meningitis may or may not have a rash. Usually Mm -hmm. symptoms subside within a week or two. This is acute Lyme, by the way, meaning you just got bit somewhere within the last days to weeks before this manifested. And, And then it went on to explain that these symptoms will come back a couple of weeks later. So I called my Kaiser doctor back. I insisted that I come in and get tested for Lyme. I went in, she said they don't test for Lyme because they're not good tests. Um, She consulted quickly with um, infectious disease. Infectious disease said that, uh, go ahead and put me on 10 days of an antibiotic, but have me follow up with a dermatologist. And when I questioned some of this, my doctor said, look, I'll be honest with you. I don't know anything about Lyme. So once again, feeling dissatisfied, I came home and was probably complaining to my husband um, about another bad experience. And he said, you should call Dr. Mary Shackleton. So I did that. And um, the doctor at from Kaiser had prescribed me 10 days of doxycycline. And I thought, gosh, do I start these or do I wait until I see Mary? Because I know she's a natural path. So she probably is not going to be on board with antibiotics. So I couldn't get in with you for five days. And I decided not to start the antibiotics. And then I landed in your hands, which was the, um, one of the most positive experiences I'd ever had with a doctor. I sat with you for easily a couple of hours. You were very thorough and very knowledgeable about Lyme. So um, I'll let you explain what your protocol was. Um, 
but prior to keeping you on the antibiotics, we did, we did six weeks. You insisted on six weeks of antibiotics and why don't you explain why? Okay. That's good. Um, well, so my mind works a bit like a map and my mind is now has like all these maps I want to address all these bubbles. But, um, the first is that your experience is completely typical. So infectious disease docs don't acknowledge, especially in the state of Colorado, for some reason, um, that acute Lyme exists, that there are no ticks here when that is absolutely false. Um, and I've had patients go to infectious disease doctors with, um, bullseye lesions, which is often what the characteristic Lyme rash is initial appearance is. And it really is a bullseye. It's like the target, um, logo, you know, for target the store, it's a bullseye lesion. And I had a patient walk in with a enormous one on his belly. One time it was almost like a cartoon. It was so obvious. And the infectious disease doc said, that's not Lyme. And so he, (laughs) Did he, he chose to follow her advice and not mine. And now he's 51 and he's so crippled with arthritis. He can't walk. Oh, that sucks. And I want to add, so my spot was solid red. Uh Um, I remember seeing seeing the ones that were on your torso. They weren't classic, but they were erythema migraines. And so that is a different rash associated with uh, Lyme. It's not a bullseye lesion. Um, but ah. it, it's an inflammatory response. It's your body trying to rid itself of something through the skin, which is yeah. your organ of detoxification. And I can't remember the percentage, but if I remember correctly, it is a small percentage or a lower percentage of people that actually will get the bullseye or the, the rash. The it's about 17%. Yeah. So most people they might have a really mild one and never have any other symptoms. So they just blow it off and it goes away and no big deal. And it goes away for decades. Yeah. So, I think there's a lot of people that miss the fact that they even have it because had I not seen that, I would have just thought I had a virus. Yes. And here's virus. the other thing that it's really, it's really unusual to have two things happening at the same time. So pre- presenting at the ER with the headache and the fever and the chills and the rash and a practitioner would tie all that together. That is not independent of each other. Those are, those are things happening. I even told her, I believe it's a spider bite or a tick bite. I had just been in Michigan. Now Mm -hmm. I don't know. I still to this day have no idea if I got it in Michigan because a picnic. I correct the day or two before I got sick. um, Scott, my husband and I were in the backyard having a picnic and I was laying in the grass. Yeah. And furthermore, um, the spring of 2020, I found a deer tick on me mm-hmm. in my home. So it probably came in on, on our dogs. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of weeks later, my husband did as well. So, mm-hmm. and I saved them. I took pictures of them. I sent them, uh, mm-hmm. to, to a doctor and it was confirmed it was indeed a deer tick, not a wood tick. So deer ticks do indeed exist in Colorado. So and they really don't have to be on a tick. Um, you know, the, the, um, the ticks, sorry, don't have to be on a deer. There are ticks that are on spiders, mice, birds, everything. But is but, it true that it's a deer tick, that type of tick that carries Lyme? That's one of them. Yeah. But they oh. could be on multiple types of ticks. So they can um, see. I didn't it can be realize mosquitoes that. as well. It's mostly tick-borne, mm-hmm. but it can be in any. It can be in mosquitoes. It can be in chiggers. Chiggers are a southern phenomenon, and I've had patients get Lyme disease from a whole body full of chigger bites. Yeah. So mm. the 
presentation at the at the clinician's office um, usually will extend somebody's search into why what, what what's happening because the physician will discount their symptoms because they don't know and um, sadly in our conventional system if they are not aware of Lyme it's not even on their radar but yeah. Lyme is an epidemic it is a true epidemic and yeah. um, so the acute presentation is a much more rare thing to see than a chronic presentation so acute is the first six weeks of a bite and people mm -hmm. will either have symptoms or they won't and then it'll go into a chronic latent stage and that could be the case for decades people could have symptoms that are you know diagnosed as fibromyalgia or as um, rheumatoid arthritis or lots of diagnoses mostly chronic fatigue type nebulous diagnoses for what is a chronic Lyme presentation so I want to jump back to, um, I want you to explain why six-week protocol on the antibiotic when you find that it's in the chronic stage. Good question. Um, no, you didn't, you might've had chronic, but you had an acute flare. Or not, oh, I'm sorry. I misspoke. Yeah. <clears throat> That's okay. true. Acute. I think we I tested you. I also think we tested you and we found IgM antibodies. So Did. when you first, and this is, this is what people are also learning through this whole COVID experience is. When you first get COVID or Lyme, your IgM antibodies go up for six weeks. Those are early antibodies when your immune system is first recognizing this exposure. After six weeks, those antibodies go down for life and the IgG goes up for life. So hmm. we, we can often test COVID patients as having a, pos a positive IgM, meaning current infection, or okay. a positive IgG meaning they've already had this and it was in their immune system is now, is now tuned into the fact that COVID exists. And so the same is true for Lyme. Now the challenge is with testing this, we could talk for a whole hour about testing. Yeah. The testing, when I first started treating Lyme, which was back in 2011 or so. Um, and I came to this because I realized that I was doing a lot of um, hormone replacement for women and there was still a subset of women that were just fatigued, even though their hormones were perfect and thyroid was perfect. And I was like, what is, what is going on? This is deep, whatever it is. Do you know how certain, certain things I call them lightly, lightning bolt moments in my life where something hits you and you're like, Oh, I got to learn more about Lyme disease. So I, I attended a conference. It was very small at the time. And, um, I got kind of the foundation of like how to assess it clinically. And the testing at that time was really terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, we had one test, um, and for example, the test through LabCorp that a conventional practitioner might use is very insensitive. If it comes up on that test, I celebrate. Like that is a big deal. If it doesn't come up on that test, I do the Igenix test. Igenix yeah. is a lab in California. And this lab will tell us if you have positive IgM or IgG antibodies. Yeah. So the, the funky thing is with Lyme, you will often get a positive IgM early antibody very confusing for practitioners, but it's, if you can get a positive test, it's like, it's positive. So Igenix is very sensitive. They've removed the influence of what Epstein-Barr can contribute to a positive test, a false, you know, a false positive. Mm -hmm. So they've really cleaned up the test in the last two years. Uh, it's a simple blood test. And um, that is one way to assess it. The other way to assess it, which I really do like as well, and it depends on people's symptoms, which test you choose, is a DNA test and they're measuring your urine for the excretion of the DNA of the bug. So mm. that would indicate that it was an active problem. Um, mm. So depending on the person's presentation, I do one or the other. 
and depending okay. on how long they've been sick. And, uh, you know, until these tests were available, practitioners were treating based on clinical presentation. So they didn't need a test. You know, if, if patients um, have all the classic symptoms of Lyme, sometimes I go ahead and treat. Yeah. Yeah. We did the, so we did six weeks of antibiotic and then you had me on stuff to help detox because, um, and you might be able to explain better this. So the six week is because it can replicate in that time, correct? As opposed to like the CDC's recommendation was 10 days because they think that's all it takes to get rid of the infection Correct. in the six weeks. That's the paradigm for antibiotics. Um, Lyme is not a bacteria. Yeah. It's spirochete. It's a different organism. So if you can catch it in that six week window, there's a fantastic success rate in having it not turn into chronic Lyme. Um, so we try to hit it hard for those six weeks and provide bacteria backup botanical support because yeah. antibiotics aren't perfect. Nothing's perfect. And so if you can provide some really strong, the herbs that we used with you were really strong and um, we use those in combo with the antibiotics and it definitely helped. And we did support detoxification because number yes. one, as you're killing these organisms, there's, they need to get out. Um, patients with Lyme have the, when you have fever and chills and, and rashes, um, that is part of a cytokine storm, which is an inflammatory process. Any fever that you have induces cytokines, which are inflammatory molecules. And we, we know about this now more because of COVID. It's more of a common um, understanding that when you have a fever, you've got these cytokines and that's what makes COVID patients really at risk for some of the, um, some of the things that cause death. It, with Lyme, it's a little bit more of a smoldering cytokine production and those things over time increase toxicity inside the body. So, and is it true as the, the Lyme is being killed off or dying, it releases toxins? You know that I'm not hundred percent sure about. I just know that when patients have Lyme, they generally need lots of detox support, yeah. even if they're not killing the organism, because there's other ways to treat Lyme without actually killing the organism. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And it, can you explain how it change? Doesn't it, how it changes form, right? It changes kind of from one. Mm -hmm. It goes in as thing. a spirochete, which looks just like a corkscrew. Mm -hmm. And then once it gets into your tissue, it forms a cyst and that cyst evades immune detection. So it's, that's why the testing is part of the reason the testing is so challenging. So once the spirochete is in your system, it, burrows into tendons, ligaments, brain, bone. That's where we get some of the pain associated with Lyme. And then it um, turns into the cyst form and it's harder to treat. So um, certain antibiotics are cyst busters, certain herbs mm. are cyst busters, and you want to use those in combination with herbs and antibiotics that kill. And long-term antibiotic therapy, some people really swear by it. Some people really don't. I have patients that have done that. I have patients that have not done that. And so there's no one straight line or cookbook approach to mm -hmm. treating Lyme, it depends on the patient. And certainly if somebody is super duper sick from having this for a long time, um, and, and I've seen patients that have had Lyme for decades and haven't known it, um, mm -hmm. they tend to be fragile. And so you have to go slow and you know, people's body will tell us how fast we can go with our treatment, how aggressive we can go. And we just have to wait and watch, everybody's so different. Yeah, and I feel like, um, you know, while we we caught mine towards the tail end of that six weeks, but I remember, I think it was the hygienics test or 
I'm pretty sure it was, but there were a lot of markers for it being in the acute stage still. Mm -hmm. And so um, I feel like we we're pretty successful with that. I haven't experienced much of chronic Lyme symptoms other mm -hmm. than maybe um, a little fatigue and vertigo, but also to know for sure that's from Lyme, you know, I, I'm, it's hard to say sometimes, but mm -hmm. um, catching that in that, that six week window, um, the way I'm understanding it is there were less of those spirochetes left that could burrow into tissue or organ systems to then create chronic Lyme. Exactly. <clears throat> and so I'm super grateful for that because um, like you said, chronic Lyme, if you could maybe talk about what you're seeing some of your um, different patients, what you're seeing when you see chronic Lyme walk, you know, yeah, once you discover that's what it is. Yes. It's, it's kind of, um, it's so hard for me to miss now because it, it, it underlies when people walk in and they have a long history of illness and they don't have any answers and they haven't been able to get well before they even open their mouth. I'm thinking about Lyme because mm -hmm. you can be bit as a kid and be fine and then enter adulthood have a divorce, have a bankruptcy, have a stressful career, um, and your immune system can't keep it under control anymore, and it will it will blossom. And so, um, at that point, people will start having symptoms. So, the typical patient, almost I would say without fail, Lyme patients have fatigue, mm -hmm. and fog, and neurologic symptoms, um, often um, visual changes, auditory changes like ringing in the ears. Um, Sometimes they have something called Bell's palsy, which is, mm -hmm. you know, it's a really common presentation of Lyme and it's missed conventionally very often, but it's this, this nerve that has three branches on the side of the face that controls um, all three. It, it controls chewing and smiling and blinking and people's faces are frozen from on one side only. That's Bell's palsy. And that is a real common Lyme symptom because Lyme loves that nerve, the trigeminal nerve. Hmm. Um, so anything neurologic, especially fatigue that's untreated, uh, or no matter what people do, the fatigue doesn't resolve. Um, people that have diagnoses of fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, I'm always, you know, and even MS and other things are usually, they usually have an undercurrent of Lyme disease in there, which is good news for the MS patients, because you can often address MS from a chronic infection standpoint and either get it to be stable or go away. I have a couple of clients that have MS and I've I've asked them respectfully if their doctors have ever looked into Lyme and they just don't. And it's really heartbreaking because I mean, MS is awful and I, and it presents so differently for the people that I know that have it. And to me, I just wish like what it couldn't hurt. Right. I mean, it couldn't hurt to see if that's playing into it. And, you know, I just, it's so frustrating. It's got to be incredibly frustrating for you. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> the people have to buy in. And so if they've already bought into their MS diagnosis, they are, you know, rigidly holding on to this is the answer. When people sit down in my office and they say, I have MS, I say, so why do you have MS? Why mm -hmm. did your body choose this as an expression? What is this an expression of? And it is absolutely worth ruling out because with MS, if you don't treat Lyme, the symptoms are not going to go away. And if you can get the Lyme to go away, the, the MS symptoms will often get better or yeah. stay stable. 
So it's worth it. And, um, you know, I, I, and ALS, there's, there's absolutely an undercurrent of Lyme with ALS as well. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's treatable. That's the thing to know that Lyme is treatable. And I would say it's difficult to treat for some people and easier to treat for others. And it just depends on the person, honestly, as to how fast you can get them. Well, we usually say, you know, give it at least two years or every a month for every year you've had this condition. So if they've been sick wow. for 20 years, then you got to give me 20 months, but you know, we're going to see improvement in that time frame. Um, but yeah, it is, it is, um, there is the, sadly, there's this, there's this, um, you know, patients with Lyme are called crazy mm-hmm. and they are looked at as crazy in the conventional world. Um, they are not believed. And I, I still wonder why would somebody pretend they're not well? Um, yeah. Very rarely in my practice of 23 years has somebody walked in and I've questioned whether they want to get well or not. Yeah. And I don't know why um, Lyme patients are treated that way in different setting, but it's not uncommon that they would be ridiculed for their symptoms or prescribed an antidepressant when it's truly a physical infection. Well, and I feel like, uh, I know uh, your thoughts on this. Okay. So I feel like there's a lot of people who say I have an autoimmune disorder, mm-hmm. but what is, what does that actually mean? I feel like that's a label thrown out there for like anything that comes up that's weird that they're not really sure what it is that, you mm-hmm. know, again, I talk to a lot of different clients and I have a ton of clients. I have an autoimmune disorder. Mm-hmm. And they're, they, pre, they all present differently, but that's the best answer they were given. And they take a ton of pharmaceuticals and honestly, they rarely get much relief. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, do, do you think that is one of those blanketed diagnoses that's um, when Western medicine doesn't know what to make of something, they label it that they throw some things at it and hope it gets better that Correct. that may be Lyme disease. It may be, yes, it's worth, it's absolutely worth ruling that out because again, it's the foundational cause of the autoimmune disease. I'm not saying everybody with an autoimmune disease has Lyme. No, I'm right. definitely not saying that. But if there's an underlying inflammatory condition, which could be Lyme, it's tr- it can absolutely trigger um, autoimmune um, diseases. So a lot of autoimmune diseases have a diagnosable, they have a name, they have a test. And that's what is satisfying for a conventional practitioner. Like, oh, your thyroid antibodies are elevated. You have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. That is why you have that blah, 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 blah. When actually I always want to know why you have auto, why do you have antibodies to your thyroid? That's what we have to figure out and get Mm -hmm. them to go away. And that is entirely possible. I've done that like for years. So I do think, um, are you asking whether autoimmune conditions and Lyme go together or are you asking um, um, if they go together and, or if they are Lyme instead of an autoimmune disorder, but it sounds like you just said you can actually pinpoint and test for autoimmune disorders. So it sounds like they you can. can be there and may be triggered by Lyme yeah. I think or that in conjunction. I think that might be the best way to look at it. Cause I can't prove okay. sure that all my autoimmune patients have Lyme. Okay. Yeah. And so you earlier had mentioned for chronic Lyme, there is a specific test for that. Could you mention what that is again? I would do the Igenix test for that. The, for the- Igenix 
Western blot. It's called the immuno blot. And um, I want to say it's about $565. The results come back within 10 days. It's one tube of blood. And I think it's the best test that's out there right now for the diagnosis of chronic Lyme. Okay. And then based on that diagnosis, depending on what else is going on with that patient, the, the protocol for treatment would can vary. Yes. Yes. So it depends on, um, it really depends on how fragile that patient is. So I always start out of the gate pretty gentle. And then I've had patients that never have a reaction to anything and we can put our foot down on the pedal and, and go fast and hard. And with other people, we just have to go slow. And I always tell patients, you know, you can't pull grass and make it grow. It's going to, it takes the time it takes. And right. there's, you know, people have thrown out, at, you know, 18 months to two years. I think that's a reasonable expectation with potential, you know, early or late release from treatment <laughs> based yeah. on how to do. But I, you know, I do a, a variety of um, botanicals, pretty aggressive with botanicals. Um, some of those are aimed at killing the bug and some of those are aimed at downregulating the inf inflammation caused by the bug. Um, because this is another tangent, but um, you know, and I keep going back to COVID because there are so many parallels with COVID and Lyme. But when you get COVID, for example, you, um, you have this initial viral problem within eight to 10 days, it should be gone. Anything after any symptoms you're experiencing yeah. after that eight to 10 period, 10 day period is not the virus anymore. It's what it has done to your immune system or what your immune system has done in response to seeing that virus. So that's often what, what I'm doing with Lyme also is treating their immune system. So, you know, for their whole life, let's say they have chronic Lyme, their immune system is really high and lion is dormant underneath. If something changes in that person's immune system, then the Lyme creeps up and the immune system goes down. So the Lyme mm -hmm. is all on top. So we wanna reverse that and that's through immune support. And so I do a lot of aggressive immune support botanically. I use IV therapy if we need it. Um, I love the far infrared sauna for boosting someone's vitality because that's what the goal is to treat someone's vital force and then mm -hmm. the infection will be easier to treat. Um, we use a low dose immunotherapy, which is a little bit like a vaccine and a little bit like a homeopathic remedy that has Lyme in it. It has all the yeah. conditions in it. Um, I, you know, we just, we do IV ozone therapy, which is fantastic. It's an antimicrobial and it boosts, um, energy and immune function. And so it, it really depends on, and, and when, then we got to look at the basics also, which is how's that person's gut, how's yeah. their diet, you know, it's, so you can't, it's, it's definitely, challenging for conventional medicine to adopt Lyme because one, no Lyme patients all present the same. And two, there's so many things to consider for treatment that do not fit in the one pill approach. It's a, yeah. it's a protocol. Yeah, definitely. And, and a lot of lifestyle change, I think for, for mm -hmm. some people, maybe not a lot, but the, the um, things you have to own. And yeah. say, okay, um, I got to do this differently. Sugar, gluten, dairy, sleep, stress, all of yeah. that. Years. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when um, I started reading about long COVID, mm -hmm. the first thing that popped into my head was, this sounds like chronic Lyme. <laughs> you know, I just right away, I was like, holy gosh, this is chronic Lyme. And I kind of got excited because I thought maybe now they'll take chronic Lyme more seriously. And that nurse friend I mentioned earlier, she had said, you see this with other viruses. We see people coming back with complications from other viruses, but it's 
not really taken seriously. It's not talked about. It's not explored deeply. And maybe it will be now because COVID has kind of gotten the spotlight that maybe they'll start taking more of these other things seriously. And I heard an interview with a woman the other day, and I can't remember her name right now, but um, she was a doctor who's retired now, but she had gotten COVID early, like I want to say December of 2019, didn't realize it was COVID, but then had long haulers and long COVID. And what she found out, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this, um, she had Guillain-Barre as a child mm -hmm. and was after many, 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 many months of not finding answers connected with a doctor who said, this is kind of re-triggered some of that, mm -hmm. that, that it kind of disrupted everything. So kind of like you're saying, Lyme will be dormant until something jacks with your system enough that yes. it can bubble up. I, so it sounds yeah. like that was similar what happened with her with yeah. Bar. So that's pretty interesting to me. I'm, I'm always fascinated every single day of my job. I am fascinated by these things um, and by how people's bodies respond to things. It's mm -hmm. fascinating. And like putting, putting the timeline, this is why a nine minute conventional appointment often doesn't no. get to the root of the problem. Because as you know, it took us an hour and a half to get your history. Yeah. You know, you know like when did that person have Guillain-Barre and what, what were the circumstances and what were her symptoms? And and how did they go away? And, you know, all of that matters in the chronology of a chronic illness if some symptoms return. Yeah. All of that is important information. Our bodies are always giving us information if we're paying attention. Yeah, I know. And, and um, if someone thinks they might have Lyme, what do you think is a good resource for them to, to look at, to, to check in with, you know, good because- I, I definitely want to, I think this is important to address because um, there's a continuum of presentations of Lyme. So some people have very mild symptoms that are chronic and annoying, and some people are paralyzed. And so if you start looking at the chat boards and Facebook groups for Lyme, mm -hmm. it could be terrifying for you. Mm -hmm. Everybody's journey is completely individual. There are some similarities and overlapping um, experiences for sure. So I would, I would caution people to stay away from the basic Google search or the Google death spiral, as I call it, because it can be terrifying. And especially if somebody is a fearful person, it will be very scary, scary for them. So um, I would direct them to the ILADS.org, I-L-A-D-S.org. That is the International Lyme Disease Association website. It is um, you know, probably the most solid organization and resource for information. They have an annual conference every year here and in, in Europe. Um, so the, the physicians that are on the board and the people that present at these conferences have been involved with Lyme for 15, 20 years. I mean, it hasn't really been focused on for longer than that, but the people that are in these organizations are truly experts. And so, and everybody, everybody's different in the way they approach it. So even within ILADS, and I am a member, even within ILADS, there's no um, agreed upon way to treat it. There's, we learn things every year at the mm. conference, like, hey, guess what? This new drug is being used off label for Lyme now. And so then we wait a couple of years and then we hear again in the next couple of years, what the papers look like. And so it, I think ILADS is a very reputable, uh, safe place to get information and I just caution people not to dig too deep into the internet because it can be really scary. Yeah, I remember you advised me of that. And so I, I stuck to ILADS after that. And I know um, on ILADS, 
you can find what's called a Lyme literate doctor. Correct. Then do you want to explain what that means? <laughs> a Lyme literate doctor is somebody that treats Lyme disease with regular frequency in their practice. And so they either are an ILADS member or they are a, um, uh, there is, I'm not sure there's a certification, but it, it's really somebody that focuses on this almost exclusively in their practice. It's not something that you can treat. It's not like you're going to treat cancer on the side. You know, you really have to dive in and be an expert to treat cancer. And I believe the yeah. same is true for Lyme. And so a Lyme literate doctor, there are Lyme literate medical doctors that prescribe medications and antibiotics. And there are Lyme literate naturopathic doctors that prescribe herbs and homeopathics and other things. Um, so, and, and again, if you talk to 13 different people, you're going to get 13 different treatment recommendations because it's just the nature of the industry at this point. There's no, there's no agreed upon treatment that is 100% effective. That's just craziness. I know. That's crazy. But, um, you know, if, if you're in the Boulder, Colorado area, I highly recommend Dr. <laughs> Mary Shackleton. Um, and, but if you're not, I would trust the ILAD site to lead you to yeah. at least some choices and then, you know, tune in to what resonates for you and maybe um, meet with some different doctors and get their take on it and see which feels right for you. Um, I did want to circle back. I forgot I wanted to, you had mentioned that now, um, I don't know if you said the CDC or Colorado Department of Health is now actually open to accepting the fact that there are ticks and other. Well, I'll say this. I'll say <laughs> when, when I test somebody and send a blood draw to LabCorp or Quest, mm -hmm. I do just a basic IgG, IgM, Lyme, Western blot, and their IgM comes back positive, the CDC gets notified. So the mm -hmm. CDC will often call a patient before I even get the test results back and scare the pants off of them. Do you have Lyme disease? Or there's no way you could have Lyme disease. You live in Colorado. There's no Lyme there. That is not true. Um, so the CDC, I think they're actually gathering information. I think it is changing and it's just a, a numbers game as to when there will be more recognition. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know that they're changing their formal definition. There's a, there's a great deal of denial about chronic Lyme in the conventional world because I believe that there's a couple things going on. One, if they do truly define chronic Lyme as an entity, um, then they will have to start paying for treatment and it could bankrupt this system. And That's okay. So red flag for me way back when is, um, so once we decided that I was going to do six weeks of antibiotics and as well as the botanicals and we had, we had a lot of stuff. We approached mm -hmm. it from a, a lot of angles and I was already doing probiotics. I think we just kind of beefed them up a little bit and, and got a broader range mm -hmm. to help with the antibiotics. But I, I went back to my Kaiser doctor and I said, Hey, this is the route I want to go. Um, she wouldn't do it. She said, I can't, I can't prescribe that many. I'm not allowed to, my hands are tied. The CDC doesn't allow it. We have to follow CDC protocol. And that was my first time of like, what's up with the CDC and kind of having this distrust and of the CDC and wondering what the politics were behind it. And I, I always go to money and I thought, well, gosh, you know, um, it's, it's, it's more pharmaceutical. It's, it's six weeks rather than 10 days. So there's money to be made there, but then 
when you look at the long haul picture of it, it's far more profitable in the long run to be chronically ill, which is a horrible thing to say. And, but honestly, it needs to be looked at because it, it plays in, I think, mm. you know, so, mm -hmm. um, but I do know, I think at the time that I had gotten Lyme, the CDC wasn't inter. I thought for sure too, when I then found ticks and I told the one doctor about it, that, that, you know, somebody would want to know, and this is important and, oh my gosh, what a breakthrough. No, nah, nothing. So it'll be, it'll yeah. be interesting to kind of follow how this opens up yeah. because, um, uh, you can't deny it exists. You I mean, cannot deny it. I have a clinic full of Lyme patients, but I do think you're right. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the conversation around long haul COVID in, in maybe opens up the conversation about chronic Lyme. I mean, they, they look the same clinically at this point. My long haul mm -hmm. COVID patients have exactly the same symptoms as my long-term Lyme patients. That's really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. I never expected that either until it started showing up. And now I think, wow, this is really bizarre how similar is. That's why we need to treat the immune system because the virus and the bug are really maybe not the thing. It's more the immune response to the thing. So the question is, is Lyme curable or just containable? So that's right. always a big debate at these conferences. Can you really cure someone of Lyme or do you just contain it? And I think patients don't really care. They're like, just contain it so I can go on and have a normal life, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Some quali quality of life at this point yes. for a lot of people. Yes. So is there anything else about Lyme that you want to share? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's interesting that there's, um, it, I do believe it's an epidemic. I do believe that a lot of patients that struggle with chronic symptoms probably have a layer here. I don't want people to be afraid to figure that out because there's help. There are more people treating Lyme now than ever. Um, and uh, there's so many different approaches. If you get started with one practitioner and you give it a good year and you're not seeing any change, there are other people that can help. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I don't think that that person failed. I think that there's it's, it's very complex. It's multi-layered. It, um, it is a deep chronic infection and it's not easy to treat. We're not treating strep throat. So, um, you know, there, there is help. There are people that are skilled around you. I guarantee it, um, you know, that not to give up, but, you know, often I, I will say that the majority of time when I give somebody the final diagnosis, that guess what, your tests are positive, you have Lyme, they cry out of joy and, and gratitude because they finally have an answer that's treatable versus mm -hmm. chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia are basically diagnoses of exclusion, meaning that if you get diagnosed with chronic fatigue, it means we don't really know why you're tired. You have chronic fatigue, yes, but why? Nobody answers the why part. So you know they've had these diagnoses for years and no treatment offered. And so with a Lyme diagnosis, we can actually roll up our sleeves and get down to work and start treating this person. So have you seen someone come in who has been diagnosed with chronic fatigue, not found any um, way to find relief, and then you find out they have Lyme and you're able to treat it and they actually get relief? Yeah, this is the majority of patients. They have a, you know, they've agreed that their diagnosis is fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue and they have just accepted it. And then we find, well, let's find out why you have fatigue. You have a positive Lyme test and then we could treat them and they get better. And and then they no longer have that diagnosis of fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue? Not in my mind. 
That's awesome. I know so many people that suffer from that. I hope you're listening. <laughs> I know. And um, I, I do feel like there's a certain amount of when people have that complacency um, around that diagnosis, like, oh, you have, we have fibromyalgia and we don't really know what to do for it. Here's some antidepressants. Here's some pain meds. That's yeah. just terrible. Mm. All right. So wrapping up, if you think you might have Lyme, if you've been diagnosed with chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia, even if you have an autoimmune issue or something like MS, I, I think it could be helpful just to see if Lyme is a layer. I mean, we could have gotten bitten, like you said, chiggers, ticks, mm -hmm. other things all through our, our lives. These are things that are around us at all times, or at least we've traveled somewhere where they're known to be. So chances are it, it could be a possibility. So why not just see if that's, that's part of the problem and get some relief. And I, I do think, have one thing to share. Yeah. It just came up. I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, I was thinking so much of the national conversation around COVID has neglected to address the, like taking care of our immune systems. If we, if let's just say you've never been bit by a tick and you're push, you're burning the candle at both ends and you're not eating really well and you're stressed out and that's a perfect recipe for getting a chronic illness. And so I think in order to prevent, because I am very, very focused on prevention as much as I can be, that we have to start taking better care of ourselves in case yes. you fit, then your, your response, you may never have a symptom. If you get bit by a tick, if your immune system is optimized, you may never have a symptom. And that's, or you get problem. exposed to COVID or right? you get exposed to COVID and you have a yeah. mild case, or you have a shorter duration or severity of the illness. Yeah. So those, the things that are super important for building your vitality is being outside, taking vitamin D, avoiding sugar, dairy, and gluten as much as possible, managing stress, sleep, um, making sure you have good gut function, all of those things build a more resilient human. And that's what we need to focus on, not getting a COVID vaccine in terms of health. Like nobody's talking about how to protect yourself. And all of those things are super yes. important. That has been something that I feel like from the beginning of this pandemic, why is that not blasted on CNN, Fox News, NPR every day, every day by every doctor? Here's what you can do. The cynic in me knows that it's because there's no money to make on selling vitamin D and getting outside and getting some sunshine. You can't charge anybody for that. I mean, that's a very cynical view, but the truth is we have lost our way and we have very few role models for how to stay healthy. And it, you can't like electromagnetic frequencies and glyphosate in our food and all of these things are mm -hmm. against our vitality. And we need to get back to that kind of, you know, yeah. the, the time when we had, you know, when kids were little and they were running around barefoot outside and they were doing that because they're contacting the earth's energy. And, mm -hmm. and that, that really does matter good dirt under your nails and, you know, yes. and like having fun rolling in leaves. Yes. You know? Pick up a chicken, forget to wash your hands, have lunch. All of that is really good yeah. for the immune system. Yeah. And, you know, we have totally lost our way. I appreciate you sharing that because it's so, so important and people please take your power back, take your mm -hmm. health back. You can do this. It's, it's something simple within your control that you can choose to do. You can choose to have a better baseline health. You can choose to feel better mentally, physically, and spiritually. 
And that is something that nobody can take from you. So you have to, you have to take it back for yourself. And I think that is just such an important thing to keep repeating to people. So mm-hmm. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yes. Anytime. Well, Mary, we're going to wrap up today. Thanks so much for coming back and chatting with us. I always appreciate our conversations and, you know, anytime you got something new, you want to share. Okay. Reach out, man. I will. And, uh, I will. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon for a checkup and see okay. how my immune system's doing. I think it's doing pretty well, but so I'd like to check in. All right. Yeah. Take care. Take care. Well, I hope you all were able to take something away from our conversation today. I personally, because of my experience with Lyme, feel very passionately about the subject. And I think you can tell that Mary does as well. And I hope this reaches somebody who needs to hear this and will be able to get an answer to perhaps what is underlying cause of a chronic illness or contributing to it, and that you find some relief. And I also hope that people will take away the point that we need to take care of our bodies and our health and our immune system, and it will only benefit us mentally, physically, spiritually. And that not only does that benefit you by doing that, but you set an example for the loved ones around you, friends and family, and then they will be inspired to do so. And that will have a domino effect that will affect the greater whole in a more positive way. So I thank you again for listening in today. And if you like what you heard here today, please share with friends and family, share on your social media. You can find me on any podcasting platform and you can share any of those links with friends and family. You could also, uh, especially on Apple, I know that you can leave feedback for me. You can rate my podcast and leave a review that will help me reach more listeners and I would greatly appreciate it. And I wish you all a beautiful day. Much love to you all.